Show and tell as schools get set to reopen. When kids are dropped off, they'll be met at the fence. Our first look at the setup and why teachers aren't ruling out job action to get what they need. Stopping COVID with a QR code. What we are is we're um, enabling people to communicate better. A new contact tracing app developers say could help businesses survive. And the battle over a memorial bench. To me, it's like a symbol of love and memory and community and caring. Why the park board removed it and what happens now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A boost in COVID-19 testing is reflected in new case numbers out today. We have 104 confirmed new cases of the virus, bringing our total to 5,952. No additional deaths, so that number stays at 209. Three people are in hospital, 14 of them in ICU, that is up four. 4,605 people are considered fully recovered, leaving us with 1,127 active cases and 2,756 people in isolation. Keith Baldry joins us with more on today's numbers. That jump, Keith, is definitely a wake-up call. It's worth noting, but put it into context for us. Yeah, Chris mentioned off the top, more testing. Remember last night I said the 58 number, which was relatively low from what we've usually seen, uh, came as a result of, in large part, because we didn't test a lot of people on Monday. Yesterday, twice as many people were tested, and our case number almost doubled from 58 to 104. That's one bit of context. I want to show you another bit of context and perspective where BC stands versus other jurisdictions, notably just across the, as, as the border in Washington State. Washington State uh, passed a threshold today, a, land, a landmark milestone whatever you want to call it, 75,000 cases versus our 6,000. They're approaching 2,000 deaths versus our 209. Hospitalizations, 11 times the number of what we have in B.C. So you've got a state uh, that has one and a half times the population of B.C., has 13 times the number of cases, nine times the number of deaths, and 11 times the number of hospitalizations. It shows you just what this virus can do and why we are still maintaining a pretty good record here in B.C., even though we saw a large number today. One final number I'll leave with today in one single day more than 83,000 people tested positive for the virus in India where of course there's many more people but it just shows you how that virus can get out of control very quickly. Obviously all right thanks for that Keith. We are learning more about the latest COVID-19 outbreak at a Metro Vancouver hospital. Fraser Health has declared the outbreak at Surrey Memorial Hospital. One patient in the nephrology unit receiving kidney treatment has tested positive for the virus. That unit is not currently allowing any new patients or visitors, and the remaining patients are being closely monitored for symptoms. Staff in the unit are still working, and an investigation and contact tracing effort are underway. Next week at this time, BC teachers will be getting their classrooms ready for kids to return. But the BC Teachers Federation says more must be done to protect students and teachers from COVID-19. As Richard Zussman reports, the union says it's looking at what options there are to ensure the province adopts stronger mask rules and allows for more remote learning options. All of our outdoor spots are signs. It's just one example of what a school will look like from outside. The school is no longer open to parents. To inside when students return to the classroom next week. Laid out rules, spread out desks, but there are worries from the BC Teachers Union that these measures aren't enough. 
Union President Terry Mooring sending this letter to Education Minister Rob Fleming on Wednesday, calling $242 million of federal money game-changing and asking the province to address concerns both teachers and parents have. What we're looking for are measures that are going to reduce anxiety and increase safety in schools. These are the union's requests. Less students in a classroom. Support for at-home and hybrid options for all school districts and a guarantee those learning remotely won't lose a spot at their local school. While families are uncertain about whether they want to send their uh, children in September, they also want to be assured that they haven't given up their right to a spot in their child's school. In order to force government's hands, there are few options, including complaints to the Labour Relations Board and WorkSafe BC. The other is a teacher walkout or strike, something not on the table now, but could come into play if teachers don't feel safe once classes return. We're not making any threats here. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau touring British Columbia Wednesday virtually, perhaps providing a boost of confidence for parents here. My kids are going back to class. The PM's three kids at school in Ontario and remaining in his political lane when it comes to how BC should spend federal money. And even though I'm a, I'm a former teacher, a former member of the BCTF, uh, I'm not going to weigh in on the best way in, uh, in BC to keep kids safe. Where's your science? The province is opening to funding remote learning spots with some of the cash, but still doesn't have a timeline on when we will know where all the money is going. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Normally, post-secondary students will be moving into dorms and apartments this weekend, preparing for the start of a new school year. This year, of course, the pandemic has pushed most university courses online. But as Nadia Stewart reports, even though campus life won't be the same, most colleges and universities are still charging the same full tuition fees. This time last year, BC's college and university campuses were bustling with students. But this fall, a noticeable change. It was pretty strange seeing campus of 64,000 people change to like no one on the streets. These two international students say they're adjusting to the new normal on campus at UBC, but have reservations about all of their courses shifting to online. Because we're paying the same amount and it's not the same experience at the end of the day. But the thing is, we have to do it. We have no other option right now. So Yeah. Despite calls for UBC and others to reduce tuition for domestic and international students, many are paying what they normally would. Tuition pays for everything that the students do. It pays for faculty, pays for staff. University Affairs Director Matthew Ramsey says tuition also pays for financial assistance programs at UBC. This year they're offering 100 million in bursaries, an increase over years past. And so far, the pandemic is not prompting a spike in deferrals. Domestic and international student applications and acceptances are on par with previous years. Some schools are waiving activity fees and students can request refunds for their transit U-Pass. But the BC Federation of Students is worried about the long term and how post-secondary institutions might look to close the budget gap in years to come. I think over the course of this next semester, we're going to hear how institutions are going to be trying to balance their budgets using international student tuition fees, um, which they've always done. But I think it's going to be exacerbated even more now. Nadia Stork, Global News. 
RCMP are investigating a serious assault on a flagger in Surrey. It happened around 2 this afternoon in the area of 95A Avenue and 148th Street. RCMP received a report that a man on a bicycle with a weapon assaulted a female traffic control flagger. The victim was taken to hospital with serious injuries. RCMP are still searching for the suspect. The individual was assaulted with a weapon um, and they were taken to the hospital. The extent of their injuries are not known at this time. Um, we are continuing to um, evaluate the extent of the injuries as well as um, actively seeking out the suspect. RCMP say the suspect is a Caucasian male, heavy set in his 30s, wearing dark clothing, a baseball cap, and riding a red mountain bike. If you have any information, you are asked to call Surrey RCMP. After a five-day manhunt, the suspect in a fatal hit-and-run on Vancouver Island is finally in custody. Mounties say they arrested the man who has ties to Surrey on the island this morning on unrelated matters. On Saturday, Katie Blogg, a 35-year-old Ladysmith mother of two, was killed when police say the driver of an F-150 crossed the center median on the Trans-Canada Highway north of Ladysmith and collided with a northbound SUV. The suspect fled the scene in a stolen vehicle. His name is not being released because charges have not been laid yet. A GoFundMe for Blogg's family has raised more than $100,000. A new survey tonight says more than half of Surrey residents do not agree with Mayor Doug McCallum's plan to replace the RCMP with a municipal police force. As Ted Chernecki reports, the independent survey, which was commissioned by the RCMP, also finds that a large majority want a referendum on the change. Those pro-RCMP signs you see are part of an ongoing campaign by the National Police Foundation that represents RCMP members. It stands to lose a lot of members if Surrey goes ahead with its municipal police service. The NPF says it's not too late. Contrary to popular belief, uh, the Surrey Police Service is not a done deal. Uh, There are a number of steps that need to be taken yet. Identifying a bargaining agent, negotiating a collective agreement before you can even hire a police officer. Uh, And then there's a budget. A budget from the police board will have to go to city council to get approved. And the city and the residents will then see the full costs of what this transition might look like. A survey it commissioned and completed last week shows 58% strongly or somewhat opposed the plan to replace the RCMP, 76% of a very or somewhat favorable view of RCMP officers. As for choices for mayor, Doug McCallum gets 27%, Diane Watts more than double, at 55%. Many of those surveyed don't think there's enough transparency about the real costs of the changeover. I don't think that we're getting the full uh, the full story. We're not getting the cost implications and I'm not the only one that feels that as well. When asked about Surrey City priorities, replacing the RCMP is last on the list at 25%, well behind core services, COVID, property taxes and reopening rec centres. Moreover, 70% said they wanted a referendum on the matter. With Surrey's former mayor outpolling McCallum 2-1, to one, we had to ask, is she thinking about running again? I have no plans in doing that, uh, but I've learned over the decades, never say never, right? But uh, at this point in time, no, I don't, I don't have any plans to do that. Nor does she have any plans to run provincially, but she does plan to keep seeking clarity from the current city council about the real costs and implications of this transition, which by any measure is an enormous undertaking. Ted Chernacki, Global News.
Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum wasn't available for an interview today, but has released a statement saying, quote, there is no question there is an inherent bias in this so-called poll. The only poll that counts for me is the one on Election Day. I openly ran on the platform to make Surrey safer by bringing a local police service to a city of over 500,000 people. It was a promise I made to the people of Surrey, and it is a promise that my team and I have kept. Well, police believe alcohol may have been a factor in a deadly overnight crash in the Massey Tunnel. The head-on collision happened just after midnight as maintenance crews blocked off the northbound lanes. Police say a southbound vehicle on Highway 99 crossed the center line inside the tunnel, slamming into an oncoming vehicle and killing its driver, a 61-year-old Richmond woman. Her passenger and the other driver were seriously injured. Anyone who witnessed the crash or who has dash cam footage is asked to contact Richmond RCMP. Victoria police seem to be on a bit of a charm offensive today. The department trying to sway public opinion back in their favor with a number of publicity events and news releases. As Brad McLeod reports, it comes after the Vic PD continue to push for an anti-police message to be removed from a public mural. Vic PD on a positive PR blitz. Posting this pleasant video of South Island Police Department's dancing bungra. Uh, showing that police are human. On the same day, publicly accepting 30 donated masks from a Jewish leader who worked and lived near a now dismantled encampment at Topaz Park. And turning the police in some way as an enemy of society is a terrible message. To have a community leader uh, to step forward and not just during a pandemic but at a time where you know the legitimacy of police is being questioned. People are frustrated with increased crime, business owners feeling unprotected and the massive Black Lives Matter movement. The chief saying he is seeing more stress leaves in the department. It's demoralizing when the officers feel that they are unfairly being tarnished. A recent publicly funded mural had an all cops are bastards acronym appear in one of the letters. The artists saying it's a lived experience of biracial people of color and it should remain. But even more public support for Vic PD this time from West Shore RCMP officer in charge, Todd Preston, sending out his support for Chief Manic, saying the divisive language used in the mural is not a way forward. A Victoria councillor saying the lettering should be removed. For all the women and men who serve not only uh, Victoria Police Department, but all police departments, um, I think it's an insult. Chief Mannix says this kindness, however publicized, is appreciated and needed, but maintains it's not just propaganda. There's work to be done. We are at the table with our Indigenous communities, our communities of colour, and I think that work needs to continue. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver police are looking for some help from the public to find a missing senior with dementia. 73-year-old Lawrence Horty was last seen leaving his care home near West 1st Avenue and Columbia Street at around 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon. He was last seen wearing a dark sweater, a black hooded sweatshirt, and a denim jacket. If you see Lawrence Horty, you're asked to stay with him and call 911. It was an expression of love, memorializing her life partner. But a local artist found out the bench she painted for her deceased partner was removed. Why the Vancouver Park Board took it away 
and what happens to it now in just over a minute. The splash that started a movement, how the money raised by the Ice Bucket Challenge is getting some real results later on the news hour. And with fears of a major COVID spike coming to the U.S., what Prime Minister Trudeau says about keeping the border closed. Right now, though, another setback for a Vancouver woman who's been fighting the park board over a memorial bench for her late partner. She ran into trouble last summer when she gave the bench a colorful paint job. As Jordan Armstrong reports, after getting a reprieve from the city, she discovered on Monday that it was gone. This year, um, for the five-year anniversary of Colin's passing, we gathered with my family and Colin's mom to remember him. It's been more than a year since Julia Gudkova transformed a weathered bench at Kitts Point into something bright. Not just any bench, the one the family sponsors as a memorial to her late partner Colin McKay, who died in a motorcycle crash in 2015. On Sunday morning, I went for my usual walk and I sat on the bench as I usually do. And, and by the time Monday rolled around... The bench was gone. Replaced by a plain bench. The actions of the Vancouver Park Board, which has fought Goodkova's art from the beginning, and in June voted unanimously to uphold the existing rule that memorial benches, which cost families $5,500 per decade, are not to be altered. The feelings are so intense that my body can't quite cope with it at the moment. I'm just in disbelief. Goodkova broke a rule. But many feel the rule should be changed. It's sad, right? Whatever, who did that, you should be shamed. Thousands have signed a petition, and there's a feeling that Goodkova has exposed a new opportunity and revenue stream that any private business would happily embrace. Why not a formal bench mural program, one with an approval process and an additional fee? But this is government. I'm shocked and dismayed and saddened hugely by the loss. There are bigger issues in the city than a beautiful bench. This is, after all, the same park board with 400 tents in Strathcona Park. Oppenheimer Park still closed for repairs. Car-free park! And Stanley Park merchants threatening to sue the board over traffic changes they claim have driven away business. And this is definitely not where you know, taxpayer dollars should be going. Park board officials would not do an interview. By email, a spokesperson said the painted bench is in storage and there will be discussions regarding next steps. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. August, home sales in Greater Vancouver are down slightly from July, but up significantly over the same time last year. The real estate board says home sales are down 2.6% from last month. Actually, make that July but up 36.6% from August 2019. The board says people who put their buying and selling plans on hold in the spring returned to the market in force this summer. The composite benchmark price for all properties in Metro Vancouver was just over $1 million in August. That's up 0.7% from July and a 5.3% increase from a year ago. Up ahead, a Vancouver neighborhood feeling under attack. Could a bubble zone prevent anti-gay antagonizers from targeting the West End? And we'll check out Forbes' newest billionaire joining the ranks of the world's wealthiest people. 
Checking out the closure of the Grandview Viaduct. It's technically on First Avenue, just west of Clark Drive. It's completely shut down to all traffic for a whole month. You can head over to Great Northern Way as an alternate route. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above First Avenue and Clark Drive. Vancouver's mayor is calling for action to protect LGBTQ2 communities from hateful speech. Kennedy Stewart proposing so-called bubble zone or peace orders around Vancouver's West End. As Rumina Dea reports, the mayor is facing questions about the legality of this solution and how it would be enforced. May I pray for you? No, you can't. The street preacher's homophobic pulpit. In the name of Jesus Christ. Pushing the edge of patience in Vancouver's West End. The VPD says they deployed pepper spray against one person Monday night in response to aggressive action against police. We wanted to create a distraction, um, have our own pride against any of the hate speech that he had there. I think I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I had just turned the other cheek and walked away and ignored this. It's not the first time the VPD responding to at least half a dozen similar incidents since June, including this one last month, where a local sportscaster suffered a broken leg after confronting street preachers, reportedly spewing hateful views. Charges have been recommended against the so-called men of God. I'm absolutely pissed about what's happening in the West End. Vancouver's mayor has had enough. Kennedy Stewart telling Global News he's already consulting with the Attorney General about a bubble zone around the West End to keep anti-gay preachers out. This is a well-funded, uh, well-organized uh, group of people that are spreading hate. They would laugh off a, a bylaw ticket, so what we need is something stronger. And so uh, what we're looking at is some kind of perhaps peace order that we could use to restrict these preachers from coming into to the West End. The idea not new. A law was passed in the 1990s allowing for a bubble zone around abortion clinics after violent protests. <laughs> Free speech versus hate speech. Charging a person with inciting hate is tricky. The public questioning how a bubble zone or ban would even work. Free speech, everyone has the right to give their opinion. Generally, I'm not, you know, I'm not for that kind of thing. With him, perhaps, I would, you know, extend it. I don't think realistically it will work, because then where does free speech come into that, you know? The mayor meeting with the police chief Thursday. Romina Dea, Global News. There's renewed concern tonight about the future of an iconic and historic B.C. tradition. The PNE is pleading for the same financial relief other Canadian attractions are getting. And with the fate of the fair up in the air... John Waugh has more on the Prime Minister's response. There's something eerie about the silence. For many, the sounds of the PE have become so synonymous with the end of summer, you can almost hear it. This day on any other year would be packed with, you know, tens of thousands of people and we would be in the midst of our busiest, busiest time of the year. So it's really, it's quite heartbreaking. The PE was not spared from the devastating effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite offerings like a drive-through fair experience, a bigger issue unlike the beneficiaries of other government assistance programs, 
Frost says it's fallen through the bureaucratic cracks. We happen to be owned by the city of Vancouver, and it just means that by virtue of the way that that particular program, the wage subsidy, was set up, it means that we're not eligible to, to participate. Now, the PE did do its best to think outside the box using shows and food stands like this one to attract 7,340 vehicles. And while that did bring in $650,000, that really is just a drop in the old fry bucket, considering it's facing a 10.5 million dollar loss. Just the interest costs alone on that level of debt puts us further behind, you know, all the time. We're looking at a quarter of a million dollars in interest payments alone right now. While the p and operates as a non-profit and even after a plea from Vancouver's mayor, the prime minister says the p and financial woes are the city's problem. Uh, we move forward on giving money directly to the provinces for the municipalities to help them uh, with their priorities. <laughs> Hall asks, considering the PE's claims that other fairs and exhibitions in Canada are given the wage subsidy due to a technicality. No other fair in Canada is subject to these conditions. The Prime Minister has to decide whether or not this fair is going to close. With mounting losses, the PE is asking the Prime Minister to reconsider, unsure if it can rebound while two levels of government pass the buck. John Hua, Global News. Up next, we'll have more from Justin Trudeau's virtual cross-Canada tour. And we're going to continue making, uh, fighting this epidemic a priority. His one-on-one with Global News and what the PM says about help for the B.C. economy. Plus, a local company developing a new COVID contact tracing app with a difference. Beautiful evening over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, and traffic is in fantastic shape north and south. Keep in mind, though, overnight lane closures for maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has spent today on a virtual tour of B.C., meeting with Premier John Horgan and a group of business leaders. We had a chance to spend 10 minutes only with him on a range of topics, including the overdose crisis and the pandemic's devastating impact on the tourism sector. We've seen iconic attractions like the Vancouver Aquarium announcing an indefinite closure. The PNE is on the brink. Uh, small businesses across this province are hurting. What is your government going to do to save these pillars of the tourism sector like the PNE, like the aquarium, and all those small businesses? We're looking at better ways to get our economy going again. We recognize that uh, tourism and certain sectors are still going to struggle, but we need to keep looking at how we're going to make sure that people make it through this difficult time uh, into a brighter future. And that's uh, what we're working with partners from uh, municipalities to provinces to business groups to uh, uh, innovators uh, to make sure that we're doing. And uh, we're just going to keep working uh, in solving these uh, these unprecedented problems uh, uh, alongside Uh, Canadians and and business owners. Tourism uh, in Canada obviously depends on American visitors. How long are you willing to keep that U.S.-Canada border closed? Keeping Canadians safe from uh, the challenges they're facing with COVID uh, south of the border uh, means uh, being strong on uh, on our border restrictions. And we're going to keep those in place as long as we need to to keep Canadians uh, uh, healthy and safe. 
Prime Minister, I want to talk about the overdose crisis uh, in B.C. It's been a public health emergency in this province for far longer than COVID. It's claimed many, many more lives than COVID has. We've heard from Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, Premier John Horgan, the Canadian Association of Police Chiefs, that it's time for decriminalization. Do you agree? Is it time to decriminalize possession of small amounts of hard drugs? Uh, the opioid epidemic has been uh, a tragedy, an ongoing national tragedy for many, many years now. And it's something that, uh, as a government, we've moved forward on many different measures to address, whether it's increasing safe consumption sites, moving forward with safe supply measures, uh, working to support frontline workers, uh, doing work around uh, mental health and addictions, mm. uh, working with homelessness uh, and creating housing. These are things that are, are all part of it. Um, as you will have seen, the Public Prosecution Service of Canada uh, has moved forward with uh, new orders that uh, doesn't involve prosecuting for small amounts of, uh, of uh, personal possession. I think this is a, an ongoing conversation, but there is no one silver bullet that's going to fix this tremendous challenge. And you can see more of our interview with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Well, there are growing fears south of the border that the upcoming long weekend will lead to another spike in COVID-19 cases. This comes as the country's daily case number has hit a plateau, but still remains higher than 40,000. And as Global's Reggie Cicchini reports, the campaign trail continues to offer two very different messages on how the U.S. is actually doing. On the campaign trail, a tale of COVID-19 contrasts. The Trump administration continues to look forward, ignoring a daily case count that exceeds 40,000 and a death toll nearing 190,000. The country's coming back really strongly. While Democrats argue past decisions have tarnished America's reputation as a global leader. Mr. President, this is an emergency. And Donald Trump and his FEMA should treat it as one. Mixed messaging has allowed the U.S. to fall behind in containing the virus. Ground zero keeps shifting. Now it's in the Midwest. 23% of all new positive cases statewide were among young adults ages 19 through 24. Iowa is in the bullseye. The state resisting recommendations from the White House Coronavirus Task Force allowing community spread to flourish. And with college football coming back... We still feel that we can move forward. Iowa State will fill 25,000 seats for the home opener on September 12th, despite the university seeing a 30% positivity rate. 665 students have been identified as positive, so still a very small percentage of students. With dozens of states reporting an increase in cases, the looming long weekend is now sparking fears of a late summer surge. Data shows after the two previous holidays, infection rates soared. You can't think that you're living in a vacuum. If you get infected, you are part of the propagation of the outbreak. Don't be careless about things. And the two presidential candidates are now showcasing starkly different campaign styles. Joe Biden says his events after Labor Day will include social distancing in accordance with public health policies. Well, President Trump held two events on Wednesday with tight crowds and few masks. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington.
A Vancouver company says it has come up with a better way for us to use our smartphones for COVID-19 contact tracing. The developer says the 10-3 system is designed to allow more important data to be shared than the current national contact tracing app, while doing a better job of protecting the privacy of individual users. Aaron MacArthur reports. Hello folks, how are we doing today? Going out to eat can seem like a game of 20 questions. Just going to double check if you've had any COVID symptoms. Most people willing to participate, all in the name of public health. But what if a lot of this information could be obtained with the quick scan of a QR code? And essentially what it does is it empowers people to play their role. A Vancouver company called 3BP normally manages projects for the aviation industry. This spring, with air travel all but disappearing, CEO Ian Matheson started looking at ways to get his people back to work. His idea, an app that can help create safer spaces. 10.3 uses people's phones to locate them for specific periods of time. After 15 minutes, all the phones that signed on in one particular location form a bubble of sorts. If a COVID diagnosis is confirmed, people within that bubble are notified. It's at that moment in time that the public health authority can ramp up their contact tracing, which they're responsible to do, and cut down the time it takes to find everyone. Contact tracing apps haven't had much success yet. Ontario, Alberta, the federal government have all enlisted huge players like Google and Apple to help trace and isolate. But concerns about privacy remain a stumbling block. Recent numbers indicate fewer than 10% of Canadians have signed up. Matheson says... 10.3 has benefits that go beyond the existing technology. Our app is based on people sharing information about where they are. And it's really their device, it's not the person. In order for this to work, businesses will have to sign on. There are applications in the airline industry, professional sports, restaurants, anywhere that people gather. Anything that's going to build confidence uh, into our guest experience and bringing people back to restaurants and opening things up, they're going to have our full support. The app is not available for download. The company still needs approval from the federal government to launch on the App Store. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still to come, remember the ice bucket challenge? Even the NewsHour crew got involved helping raise a bucket full of money for ALS research. And now it's really starting to pay off. Also coming up in sports, that was so fun. Uh, and so is this, Demko saving the season. How the Canucks' backup goalie proved he's ready for prime time. Hollywood's newest billionaire joining the ranks of Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. We'll tell you who it is coming up right after Christie's forecast. It was a bit of an iffy start this morning, or at least it was where I was, yeah. Christy, but it uh, turned into something pretty nice. 
Sure did. Blue sky all around the region right now, so Chris. Uh, but yeah, it took a long time for it to get here, that's for sure. About 2 o'clock is when we finally saw a clearing. Let's have a look at how hot it got once the sun did make its way out. Out through the Fraser Valley, humidex levels were at 28, 29, near the water 24. But the regular temperature, only 20 degrees near the water. So it certainly did stay a little cooler. But that will be the case over the next several days. Quick look at the north coast, though, region tomorrow. Expecting rainfall there. Uh, that shifts into the central interior and parts of the caribou as well. And you'll note tomorrow morning a little bit of fog across the south coast region. So don't be surprised if you see that if you're down near the water. But otherwise, sunshine for all of southern BC because the jet stream's really driving only into the north coast. And that's going to shift north up towards Whitehorse over the next few days. So the long weekend looking sensational right across the province, really. And it's not until the first day of school, everyone, well, for most people, on September 10th that we will start to see slightly cooler conditions and a bit more cloud cover. So plenty of sunshine on the way. Quick look at the peak wind gusts up to 63 kilometers an hour today. Very gusty in southeastern BC and we are expecting those winds to ease off. Fire danger rating though is climbing and with no major rain in the forecast for at least the next seven days, be really careful out there. We're really hoping we we don't have another surge in our forest fire uh, situation. So that's the rainfall for the north coast and central interior regions but sunshine and heat across the south and that will last for the next seven days as I mentioned it's not until the kids head back to school that we're going to see a bit of a change and I'll leave you with your central windows weather window a great shot looking out over Cogs Bay this little guy riding his bike and Zach captured the photo and I don't even think Zach knows who this little guy is but a pretty neat shot as the sun went down (laughs) love that place thanks Christy Looks like that could be Colton or even Braden, maybe. Uh, Hollywood has a brand new billionaire, and his name is Tyler Perry. The longtime filmmaker has landed the cover of Forbes for his billion-dollar empire, which includes his homes, planes, television shows, movies, and his 330-acre mega-production studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Forbes estimates Perry's net worth at $1 billion, with him earning more than $1.4 billion since 2005. It's pretty good work if you can get it, I'd say. Sadly, we can't. Sadly, we can't. <laughs> Speaking of good work, or at least a good job, let's talk about the backup goalie. I know, Thatcher Demko saved the day last night. Well, he actually saved the season. And that win last night came with the Canucks not really playing their best game. Sometimes you're, you know, you find ways to win hockey games too. I want to point out, remember last year, the Golden Knights had a 3-1 series lead against San Jose and lost in seven. So maybe it can happen again. Let's hope so. Also, a bucket full of hope for a potential breakthrough in the treatment of ALS, thanks to all the money raised by the Ice Bucket Challenge. Well, Canucks Nation was holding its breath last night, Squire, and... Uh, you can exhale. Mm-hmm. Hold your breath again tomorrow. The uh, goalie of the future was the goalie of the moment last night. Thatcher Demko made 42 saves with an injured Jacob Marks from watching from the stands. It was his first start since early March, so apparently Demko must shower with Tremclad because there was no rust on this guy. Theodore, here's Smith. Might have an angle here, trying to drive to the net. Demko paddled down. And while a lot of people may have been surprised that Thatcher Demko was able to stop all but one shot, the guys who know him best were not. 
because Demko was a low-stress kind of player. His demeanor was calm, and, and that's a calming effect on, uh, on a team as well. You know, I know I've been, you know, doing my thing in practice and, and making sure my details were where they needed to be. And um, obviously it's a little bit different than a game, but, um, you know, everything that you see in the game, you've seen at some point in practice and, and you just have to rely on, on that kind of thing. But according to Quinn Hughes, there is another secret to Thatcher Demko's razor sharp focus. I think we all knew Thatcher was going to be really dialed in. I mean, he's a guy that... Um, you know, he goes to bed early, he eats the right way. Quinn, citing why the team was so confident in you coming in today, noted, noted that you go to sleep early and eat well. Um, accurate, and how early did you go to sleep last night? Uh, I think I was lights out at maybe 10.05, 10.10. Um, these guys go, go to bed a little bit later than I do, but uh, I like to be rested, like to... To know I did everything I could to, to be ready to go. And now the question is, will Thatcher Demko need to be ready to go for game number six? Is Jacob Markstrom going to be healthy enough to play that game? Um, <laughs> I'm probably, uh, I'm not going to comment on what goalies I'm playing, what night they're playing. I, I, I've never done it. I'm not going to start now. Can the Avalanche stay alive? They need to win against Dallas to force a Game 7. Two of the best young defensemen in the league are in this series. Miro Heiskanen scoring there. He's one of them. And the other guy's Kale McCarr, and he's going to score too. In fact, his goal is going to give Colorado a 2-1 lead with a third period still to come. Uh, tomorrow at the U.S. Open, tomorrow morning, there'll be an all-Canadian matchup. Second rounder, Vancouver's Vosik Pospisil against Milos Ronich. These two have been playing against each other since they were kids. Also tomorrow, Canadians Felix Auger-Yassim, Ali Yassim will play, and so will Leila Fernandez. Denis Shapovalov is playing right now. He leads Soon Woo Khan uh, two sets to one right now. Uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver died today at the age of 75 of complications from dementia and COVID-19. He was a three-time Cy Young Award winner and a World Series champ with the New York Mets in 69. So let's end on a happier note. The other day, the Seattle Seahawks set up a camera at their practice and they wrote on a whiteboard beside the camera this question. Which Seahawk player has the messiest locker? Uh-oh! I'm glad they got it out here. Here he is, number one. Locker? Take it off. Take your helmet off. Who got the messiest Take locker? Take your helmet bro. off. Let them see you. Who got the messiest locker? The messiest locker. PK. Quandre Diggs. PK. Bobby Wagner. PK. For five seconds. Come here, bro. Five Come here real quick. Come here real quick. Russell Wilson. Those is the top three that got the messiest, messiest locker. locker. I'm probably number four. Messiest locker? It's definitely him. I'm number four. I keep care of my stuff, my shoes, everything be organized. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Russ, take care of my stuff. Huh? Be real. Who was? We said I'm four. Is it Tyler? Tyler, you, you in the top, you in the top two. Oh, you in the top who's two. number one? You in the top two. You. You, you, you in the top one. <laughs> Listen. You in the top one is what you are. Listen. Oh, my God. I'm in the top ten. I'm out. <laughs> you didn't see that locker. Oh, yeah, Blue Jays won today over Miami 2-1. to one. There you go. 
All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? I'd like to know who is the messiest desk in the newsroom. There's a oh. few contenders. Uh-oh. Uh, despite continuing high COVID numbers, there's a push tonight to expand BC's reopening. Casino workers say with stores, gyms, restaurants, and bars operating again, there's no good reason they shouldn't be able to have their jobs back as well. We'll look at the impact the closures are having. Plus, two 14-year-old girls have gone missing in Burnaby and their families are worried. Masa Kasib and Sadaf Fahimi were last seen around dinnertime last night at the Metro Town Mall. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight. All right. Thanks, Jay. Research into a treatment for ALS heats up thanks to the Ice Bucket Challenge. That's coming up next. Remember the worldwide phenomenon known as the Ice Bucket Challenge. Maybe, like the NewsHour crew, you even took part. The event raised hundreds of millions of dollars to beat ALS, and that icy cold cash is paying off big time with a major turning point in the fight against the deadly disease. It was the frigid phenomenon in the summer of 2014. The Ice Bucket Challenge, meant to raise awareness and funds for ALS, a debilitating disease with no cure. Christina Golgi was diagnosed at just 31, given just two years to live. Then she was given a new drug called AMX35 in a trial funded by the more than 200 million raised by ice bucket donors. There was a very brief period where she was not on the drug and we really saw a dramatic difference in the progression of her ALS in that period compared to when she was on the drug. Researchers in the New England Journal of Medicine report patients who got the drug retained physical functions longer, like speaking, walking, swallowing. Did you think you would see this in your lifetime? No, this, this is amazing. I mean, this is a dream um, come true for me. Results so good, the ALS Association is petitioning the FDA to bypass phase three trials and get the drug to patients now. Any improvement that we can give uh, through medications is going to be substantial for these patients who have a very short lifespan. Nancy Frady's son Pete created the Ice Bucket Challenge before he died of ALS. <laughs> when Pete was diagnosed, we didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Not only do we see the light at the end of the tunnel, but now we can feel its rays and it's going to happen. The money raised from the Ice Bucket Challenge has funded more than 100 potential therapies. Christina wants to see her kids graduate. Obviously, we want a cure, but if we just freeze it and just stop the degradation where it is, we're both very happy. A family full of hope, thanks to one man's dream and the donations of many. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News. The big front-end loader that we used at the PNE that year. Squire <laughs> has a theory about it. I, I think they were cleaning up some horse droppings <laughs> oh, or no. cow droppings. I noticed something on the bottom oh, of it. Oh, no. All for a good cause, obviously. I right, noticed Christine? that, too. All right. Exactly. Th thanks for mm -hmm. watching, everybody. Have a good night.